Brought to you by Feitner Productions. From the Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, this is Laying Down the Law with your host, Billy DeClerc, and co hosts, Lauren Michaels and Curtis Rutherford. Featuring a jury of genius jokesmiths and paneled with the help of Publishers Clearinghouse, auditors from the firm of DCH Lottery Management, and selected by random draw from a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar every Tuesday and Thursday at half past never. Only a madman would bring these people together to construct an entire virtual world of law and order simply to tear it asunder with ruckus laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the interwebs. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law, the law and comedy podcast hosted by me, the wild dingo hedgehog of the law, Billy DeClerc. Hi, I'm Lauren Michaels. And I'm Curtis Rutherford, the co-host of this podcast, the creator of Improv Beat by Beat, the audio interview textbook of improv comedy, um, a member of Megaplex, the improvised movie, and of Ghost at UCB. And today we have a returning guest, an Austin native and a storyteller who isn't afraid of the dark, Miss Kristen Dredding. Very true. Thank you for having me. I am not afraid of the dark. Welcome back, Kristen. Well, I'm thrilled to have you guys here today. Uh, And I mean you guys in the non-gendered sense, of course, y'all, if we were from the South. Um, Before we get into the law stuff, though, let's take a break to promote our friends and other products. Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared, all of us had heard the You're on mute. Live comedy the second Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. And we're back. Today's topic is quasi-contract and unjust enrichment. These are substitutes for contracts. When a contract either isn't fully formed, either it wasn't agreed upon uh, in the terms of an oral or written agreement, or there's some interaction between the parties that the law has decided it would be unjust for one party to keep the benefits and the other to lose the benefits. So the restatement of restitution calls this unjust enrichment and says when a person's unjustly enriched at the expense of another, they can be liable in restitution. And restitution just means giving back the thing that you got of value. So for example, if There was an agreement between two parties. There's a 1901 case where a person 
made an agreement that, hey, I can live in, let me live in your house and I'm going to live in your house. I'm old. I'm sick. I'm going to live in your house until I die. And then you'll get paid back out of my estate from the inheritance I was going to give to my children. But it never made it into the will. Um, it was never recorded in any way. It didn't comply. And, and wills have very strict requirements to be effective. And so because it's a defective will agreement and there's no written agreement, it wouldn't necessarily be enforceable. The idea of unjust enrichment is it would be unjust to allow the estate of the decedent, the person who died, to retain the benefits when there was evidence that there was this agreement, this intention for an agreement, the the decedent was going to be allowed to live in this person's house for a certain period of time. And so the uh, person who made a claim against the estate for the reasonable value of the services rendered, um, you know, providing a home for this person could be paid out of the estate and it would be unjust or would unjustly enrich the estate if that person wasn't paid the reasonable value when there's all this evidence that that was what was intended. So not an effective contract, not an effective agreement, um, not an effective will. But this idea of restitution is really, you know, the old picture of the old scales of justice is to balance things out and make it fair or whatever the judge happens to think is fair. So we see kind of two doctrines here. One is called an implied in fact contract. An implied in fact contract is actually a contract. It's not an oral agreement and it's not a written agreement. So there hasn't been a handshake deal. Um, there hasn't been something written down and signed, but it has all these other elements that we think an, a contract was implied based upon the behavior or the conduct of the parties. So it's called implied in fact, because the parties acted like they had a contract, even though now, uh, now that there's a lawsuit, now that there's a lawsuit, one of them is saying, well, we didn't have a contract. So the plaintiff, the person who's seeking to be paid, has to show a couple of things for this to be effective. The first is that they have to show that whatever services or whatever was done was done under circumstances that gave the person who was receiving those services reason to believe that it was performed for them and not for some other person. And that the, the circumstances, the evidence suggested that it was not a gift, it was not gratuitous, but there was an expectation that there would be uh, some kind of compensation. And then finally, the, um, the person who's seeking to be paid should show that these services were beneficial to the recipient and that these parties had this kind of understanding and that the recipient benefited from it. It's very similar to the idea of unjust enrichment uh, or quasi-contract, um, but the implied-in-fact contract is considered a, under a contract theory. It's considered an agreement, um, and, and the suggestion is that the parties, um, the parties did, in fact, agree. When you're talking about restitution or quasi-contract or unjust enrichment, we have a lot of different terms for this idea. Um, in California, you call them common counts, which goes um, way back in history. Um, they were literally um, things that the, the barristers would stand up and plead a, a claim in common counts. And therefore, uh, things like goods had and received or services rendered um, was the, is the, some of the common counts claims or causes of action. They are non-contractual 
equitable, meaning it's what's fair, claims that can be brought uh, to to bring the money back to the person who the law says or the judge says really ought to have it because it would be unfair for the defendant to keep the value of that. So they can show, uh, for example, interest in money, um, in land, possessions, services that were beneficial or were requested by the other, the satisfaction of a debt, or any kind of arrangement that inured to the benefit of the defendant. And the plaintiff must show that it would be equitable or inequitable for the defendant to keep the benefit of the same. So you can think of an example of this where, let's say, Timmy, Timmy gets a lawnmower for his birthday and he decides to go over and mow the neighbor's lawn uh, on Tuesdays. How would you know whether Timmy's claim was an implied in fact contract or a quasi contract or unjust enrichment? The difference might not be all that clear. If you can imagine, for example, Timmy goes over uh, and we'll say it's Mr. Sanderson lives next door and says to Mr. Sanderson, hey, Mr. Sanderson, I'm going to mow your lawn every Tuesday. Mr. Sanderson says, oh, that's fine, Timmy. I was going to pay a gardener anyway. I was going to pay a gardener 10 cents. And Timmy goes every Tuesday and he mows the lawn every Tuesday. And uh, they never have an agreement that uh, Mr. Sanderson's going to pay Timmy 10 cents. But Timmy goes over there diligently every Tuesday. And then at the end of a year, he says, uh, you know, Mr. Sanderson, I'd love to get five dollars and 20 cents. I, I mowed your lawn every Tuesday for 52 weeks. I'm entitled to five dollars and 20 cents. Maybe I get a tip on top of it. Mr. Sanderson says, we never had an agreement. Yeah, I just thought you were mowing the lawn for my benefit. Well, I think Timmy would probably argue in that case, it's an implied in fact contract. There was a um, circumstances that suggested maybe they had an agreement, even though there wasn't an explicit agreement. There's no proof that they agreed. Um, but um, but Mr. Sanderson was getting his lawn mowed every week and um, Timmy was doing the mowing and he thought he was going to get paid and and he wasn't doing it for some other reason, just because he liked Mr. Sanderson. To try and push the hypo a little bit, we lawyers use the word hypo to refer to a hypothetical situation. So if we push the hypo a little bit and let's say that uh, Timmy goes over and he, he sues and he, he, he mows Mr. Sanderson's lawn every week. Uh, most uh, kids who mow lawns get 10 cents uh, a week when they mow a lawn. Uh, Mr. Sanderson, you know, he kind of peeks out the blinds, but there's never a discussion. And, you know, the, the lawn's nice and mowed and he never has to pay any gardener and he never has to go mow it himself. Uh, you know, he would, if Timmy at the end of a year wanted to sue for the, uh, unjust enrichment claim, he'd say, well, we never had really an agreement. There was never really a discussion, but you know, Mr. Sanderson, he benefited from me mowing the lawn and I, you know, I was sweating while I was doing it and I was working hard and I was working hard every Tuesday. So it would be unjust for, to allow Mr. Sanderson to keep the benefit of, uh, of my lawn mowing services, even though, you know, we didn't have a contract and even though we never discussed it and even though, uh, you know, M Mr. Sanderson, you know, maybe he didn't want his lawn mowed. I don't know. Uh, he didn't tell him to get off the property. Yeah, I suppose if he didn't want uh, Timmy mowing the lawn, he could have said, you know, get off my lawn. So with that background, let's turn to the cases of the week. Our first case is Kelly versus Hans. This is a Connecticut case from 1928. In Kelly versus Hans, the plaintiff was a contractor. And in 1926, he entered into a contract with a, a homeowner. And the agreement was that he was going to excavate and level 
the um, concrete sidewalk and curb in front of his property for $420. And uh, the agreed price was $3 per running foot for 140 feet of frontage. The plaintiff, the contractor, said he'd start work within a week. (laughs) 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 And complete it before the cold weather set in. But because he's a contractor, he didn't start until December 4th, 1926. Which some people would say (laughs) in Connecticut in December in the 20s, pre-serious climate change, it was getting cold. So he did uh, start the work. He removed a strip of earth along the front of the property, 12 feet wide and 8 feet deep, as agreed, but he didn't finish. And so he just left, as contractors do, left the work unfinished, and then demanded to be paid, as contractors do. (laughs) And uh, he didn't, he didn't ever finished the homeowner in March of 1927 notified the contractor that the contract was canceled. You know, like you were supposed to finish this a long time ago, whatever you're not, it's not going to happen. So the contractor sued for the reasonable value of the services rendered. And it was calculated. The reasonable value was $158 and 60 cents at trial. The plaintiff one, uh, the judgment was rendered in favor of the plaintiff for $133.68. Now, the way that they got that number, $133.68, is that there was an offset. So uh, the reasonable value of the services were $158.60. There was an offset of $25 for the value of the dirt because the defendant had filed a cross lawsuit. The plaintiff sued because he had completed part of the digging. But uh, the defendant said, hey, you took my dirt. So the the damages were deducted and the contractor won. The property owner filed an appeal and said, basically, there's no way this guy should have won because we had a contract. We had an agreement. The agreement was he was going to do 140 feet. He did 12. And uh, he can't sue me for partial performance when, you know, he, he said he'd be done by a certain time. He didn't even come close. And the court of appeal reversed. So the contractor, contrary to the the typical doctrine of a quantum merit or a quasi-contract or a reasonable value, unjust enrichment theory of damages, because there had been a contract, he wasn't entitled to the reasonable value of the services because he didn't complete the contract. And what the court said basically is, you know, had the contractor done his job right and not actually breached, then maybe he would have gotten the reasonable value of his work. But clearly this was his fault. The reason the contract wasn't completed is because the contractor didn't start for three months after he said he was going to start and didn't finish at all. Partial performance is an idea in contract law that you can have a contract that's divisible into parts. And so if you partially perform the contract, you can get partial uh, benefit of the contract. But here the contract was for 140 feet 12 feet is not partial performance, even though it's a divisible performance. The defendant was going to have to go out and get somebody else to dig up the sidewalk. The plaintiff contractor had, quote, willfully, meaning intentionally abandoned the contract. So he wasn't entitled to recover for the reasonable value of the services or the benefits conferred. And really, I think this case illustrates the unjust part of the unjust enrichment. So the property owner was enriched in a way in that he did get the benefit of the work that the contractor did do. But I think the court here is saying you're not going to win on an unjust 
enrichment theory when it's not unjust. Because you 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 essentially agree to do something you didn't do. It's not unjust to let the party who benefited by your work uh, be enriched. So it's like it's really like an equity thing, like like who's sort of like in good faith trying to adhere to the contract versus who's like not at all. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing about equity is that it's always, you know, what's fair is pretty subjective. Yeah. I don't know if I've told this story on this podcast before, but it's worth telling again. So a few years back, we had a um, an issue with the bathtub. You know, have one of those drain handles that you click up, click down. And I clicked it up and I heard a clink sound. But, you know, I fill up the bathtub and I'm like, oh, crap, this uh, something's wrong with this stopper mechanism thing. And the bathtub isn't draining. So I called a reputable company who had the biggest advertisements and billboards. And, you know, they uh, frequently put a sticker on the front page of the L.A. Times. They're very uh, they're very ritzy um, in the way that they handle plumbing. So this very ritzy plumbing company came out and uh, the estimators, they told me they were going to be between eight and noon. Then at noon called and said they'll be there between one and four. And then at four, they called and said they'd be there probably by the end of the day, maybe 10 minutes to six. Two guys show up in a truck and they run a a snake down the tub, pull a bunch of raw sewage into the bathtub and leave. Oh, Oh my God. They're like, oh, we're going to run a camera down your toilet. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So then they tell me, oh, the camera shows you've got uh, you got serious breakages down down the main line. In other words, I didn't understand. And uh, I've never heard of a toilet getting a colonoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, there's some serious blockages and breakages and we're, you know, we're probably going to have to do some, uh, you know, retrench or something like that. I'm like, I don't really understand what's going on here. They're like, we'll come back tomorrow. They come back the next day. They completely remove the toilet. They're like, we're going to have to run the camera again. So they run the camera again. They're like, oh yeah, <laughs> you're going to need a new clean out in the front yard. And I'm like, I'm going to need a new clean out in the front yard. <laughs> Okay. They're like, the estimate's $1,500. I'm like, $1,500? I don't know. It's just like a little clink sound, but okay, I guess so. At this point, you know, my wife, who's smarter than I am and less macho, is like, this is not making sense. I'm not understanding. what. Why are they doing that? It's in the bathtub. Why is this? You know, the next day, okay, we're going to send out a team. So they had five guys, two digging, um, and then like two supervising, and then one, I'm not sure what he was doing. And they were there all day long, you know, and they dug a hole basically. And at the end of the day, they're like, okay, we'll be back tomorrow. And they come back tomorrow and they're like, yeah, there's a breakage. We're going to need to retrench and we're going to do trenchless plumbing. And and at that point, my wife's like, hold on a second. And they're like, it's going to be $2,600. And she goes, hold on, tell them not to come. Call another plumber. So I call another plumber. And I call a plumber by the name of Hicks Plumbing in Pasadena, California. You ever want a good plumber? In the Pasadena area, call Hicks Plumbing, Darrow Hicks. You can tell him you heard about it on this podcast because Darrow Hicks came out and said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. He comes out and he asks, and he just kind of nods his head the whole time. And he says to me, You know, plumbing is very simple huh. to understand what's happening. And I, what I, I'm hearing is that uh, you don't understand what's happening. He said, Yeah, I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. It'll be $65. So he went under the house and it turned out it's the little curvy thing. It's shaped like a J underneath the tub that needed to be replaced. It was a 65 or $165, which I gladly paid. Well, three weeks later, the Ritzy Plumbing Company calls me and uh, says they're going to put an, a lien on my house and what? they're going to sue me with a, you know, for $2,600. Oh. And I said, you know what? I am a licensed attorney and I'm calling this contract uh-huh. the licensing board. <laughs> 
which I did do. Yeah. I mean, that's an unconscionable set of fear. Turned out they got a fine. Turned out I got a free clean out in the front of my yard, which was probably worth, you know, a little bit of money. But I retained the reasonable value of services rendered because I was not unjustly enriched. That's that is like that's like going to the like uh, doctor with a with a cut or something and then being put on dialysis or something. <laughs> Pretty much. That's why I yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the law we call that business development. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, well, we're going to we got some good pathology here. Mm. Okay, so that's uh D Clerk versus Ritzy Plumbing Company. <laughs> Not in the outline. <laughs> Our second case of the week is De Leon v. Aldrete. This is a Texas case from 1966. And this is a contract for sale of land. On May 30th of 1960, the plaintiff, Cristobal P. Aldrete, and the defendants, Dario De Leon and his wife, Felicitas De Leon, entered into a written contract where the plaintiff was going to buy a piece of land from the defendant in the city of Del Rio. The purchase price was $1,500 and it was an installment sale contract. Installments meaning payment over time, which is a legal way to sell property. And so the plaintiff was supposed to make the payments over the course of about a year with the last payment due April 1st, 1961. Plaintiff made zero payments on time. He made some payments. And by April 1st of 1961, when uh, Mr. Aldrete should have made all the payments, he'd made less than half of the purchase price payments. Uh -huh. After that date, he made another late payment, more payments totaling $350. And by July 6th of 1961, months after he should have completed all the payments, he'd paid only $1,070 with a balance of $430 overdue and unpaid since April 1st. So the De Leons hadn't sold their property to Mr. Aldrete. On February 1st, 1962, they sold the property to Guillermo Hernandez for $1,300, all cash, and by a warranty deed. The warranty deed says that since they have the title, they can convey the property. So there's a lawsuit filed between De Leon and Aldrete that because the contract wasn't recorded, recorded means when there's a real estate transaction, it's recorded in the county records so that the world is on notice who sold the property to whom. And so the question is whether Hernandez was what's called a bona fide purchaser. A bona fide purchaser is someone who is in fact uh, purchases the property and has the right to it. Mr. Hernandez, the second purchaser, had the, the right to the property free and clear of any right by Mr. Aldrete, who had paid about $1,070 over the course of a year and a few months. So Mr. Aldrete sued for the money he had paid toward buying the property, and he won. He got $1,512.60, which was the total amount of money he'd paid to buy the property under the contract, $1,070 plus interest, from February 21, 1962, the date of the judgment, and $250 in architect fees that the plaintiff had expended basically because he was planning to build a house. And the defendants, the De Leons, appealed saying there's no evidence for the judgment. 
And they said that he wasn't entitled to get his money back and he wasn't entitled to the interest. So the question on appeal was whether Mr. Aldrete, the defaulting buyer, was entitled to get his money back. What do you folks think the answer is? For me, this sounds like the kind of thing that they would want to encourage, um, like these kind of terms enumerated, like what are the penalties that you'll incur if you miss like X date? You know, um, it shouldn't be something that's left up to chance. So I would assume they are not going to be as like generous in, in construing this contract because they left it vague. So do you think uh, Mr. Aldrete should get his money back? Uh, probably not, I guess. What do you think, Lauren? Uh, so it's, nobody recorded it. Um, I don't, I want him, I kind of want him to. You want him to get his but, money back? I mean, because like in real estate, I mean, it's important that like somebody like pay it in time, right? I mean, like the money's, the capital's important. Um, they want to incentivize like people paying on time, I guess. Curtis, what do you think? Tiebreaker vote. I think give him his money back, but all this extra stuff, I mean, it just seems weird. Like they sold it to somebody else, so they're not out, right? I mean, they're out the 200 that they theoretically could have made from Aldrete rather than selling it to uh, Hernandez. Otherwise, it feels like, oh, could you just keep collecting money and hoping that people default, like, don't quite make that last payment and then keep selling that same land? Yeah. In fact, in the in the more modern times, using the um, California Association of Realtors contract that's typically used in residential real estate transactions, there's usually a deposit. And the deposit is lost if you blow out of the contract. So in this case, you know, supposing that there was a contract that said this is a non-refundable deposit, um, you're paying to tying up land. You know, the the sellers probably could keep it. In fact, you could imagine a situation where uh, somebody takes the good faith money deposit and then somebody backs out of the contract and they keep reselling and reselling the same property. But in this case, there was no such contract, and the court of appeal affirmed the judgment said Aldrete paid 70% of the purchase price for the land and the De Leon's only suffered about $200 of losses. So the De Leon's would have been unjustly enriched if they were allowed to retain $1,070 and the interest is statutory. So he had paid a majority of the purchase price before there was termination, before they went and sold it to somebody else. My take, it's a little unfair to them Um, I think Kristen's point is well taken, though, that this is the kind of thing that you want to have a contract for. What happens if you partially pay and then default? And also, don't sell your land under an installment plan. Yeah. That's just, you know, if you're going to sell it like a little bit at a time, you know, unlike the sidewalk that was partially completed and you paid for full completion, uh, you know, you can't kind of sell like half of your land. Like, oh, you can have the front porch and the living room, but not the bedrooms because you didn't pay for those. Can't really divide it up. I mean, also like, I mean, it's only $200 in this instance, but it could have easily with real estate, land value can just like rise and plummet, you know? I mean, it could have been really substantial losses like because this guy failed to make good on his payments. You know what I mean? Um, In a timely manner. I think you would have had a different result if they had sued him for breach of contract. Yeah. And said, you know, you failed to you failed to pay these installment payments and you need to pay the rest of it and you owe us another, you know, $430 and you owe us interest. They actually did a good thing and sold it to somebody else 6 months later. I don't know, maybe Aldrete didn't have a lot of money seeing as how he made this deal and then failed to honor it. Uh, So maybe they made a strategic decision not to sue him for the additional $430. 
but uh, they put themselves in quite a uh, quite a pickle by doing this installment sale contract. So, a word to the wise: don't sell real estate under an installment contract. I mean, like one big question that kind of arises is like the level of sophistication of all the parties involved and also like what their incentives are to like make a more sophisticated instrument, right? Like it doesn't, doesn't sound like anybody's super sophisticated if they're selling land by installment in the first place, right? But then you would think that the guy who's buying it would have the incentive to like really enumerate when that land vests or like when title vests because like otherwise like you're leaving yourself wide open, I guess. Very true. Some deal lawyers could have stepped in and uh, made it a hundred page contract for sure. Well, that would be good times for everybody. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good fun had by all. So that's, uh, those are the basics of quasi contract and implied in fact contract unjust enrichment. So basically both of these, um, they should have had better contracts. So we can acknowledge these were bad contracts. Hey, I didn't, take into account that I might not finish this job and what I would be paid if I only did half the sidewalk or a third of the sidewalk. And hey, we're selling this, we're selling our land. Uh, we're just going to collect the money as it comes in. Go ahead and just, you know, throw it in a box out back. But separate from that, because they didn't want to get this, uh, the, this unjust enrichment, they, they, they shouldn't have made money off of these basically is the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. And I think the the, the policy point behind this is, is that you're driving at really is that when you have a bad contract, the court's left in the position of trying to decide what's fair. Is the homeowner entitled to retain the value of a partially dug sidewalk or should the contractor have gotten money for the work that he did? Um, you know, people that had their land tied up for almost a year um, or, or longer than a year, should they get some benefit from having entered into a contract like this when it's not fully performed you know it's it's the contract failed and i, I think uh aldrete made out like a bandit here the daily ons got 200 less a year later and then they got hit for interest on a partially completed contract and they had to pay for the guy's architect fees after he never paid anything on time <laughs> doesn't seem altogether fair I mean, that's the problem with like cases at equity is like there's like, all these like like kind of like uh, shadow like just like uh, considerations like like standards basically like what's a reasonable performance or like what constitutes like what seems like an appropriate like good faith effort right and that is all there's no like standard for that that's been published anywhere it's just sort of like the intuition of the judge which is hairy i feel like it also seemed like at some point the judge had to determine the value of dirt <laughs> or look up, hey, you know, how much can I sell, you know, a hundred cubic feet of dirt for this? Seems like probably not the best use of a judge. <laughs> yeah. The the case um calls them nominal damages. Nominal damages are like the uh the one dollar that um uh Taylor Swift got um when some weird disc jockey brushed her butt in a picture and uh, she sued for uh she sued for battery, I think, and got and she asked for one dollar of damages. So it's a nominal amount. It's it's not the actual value of dirt. I don't know how you come to an actual value of dirt, um, but it's the but it's the principle of the thing. So we call it nominal damages. Damages in name only. Oh, oh! I never put the connection of nominal to that. I just thought it meant small. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. But it it's is, also a name. Okay. Yeah, it is small. It just, it means well, like, we can't really tell you what the value of these damages are, but we know it's not zero. And we know it's not a peppercorn because what the hell are you going to do with a peppercorn? Listen to prior episodes to understand what we're talking about peppercorns for. <laughs> But we do have to name them. We have to nominate some sort of, this is the nominal damages. Okay, yeah. whatever. You get your dollar. Uh-huh. What's the price of dirt? 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. I got I got dirt for you. I would sell some <laughs> dirt for 25 bucks. You know, you drive past signs and it's like clean fill wanted. Like it's you want dirt, right? But you want clean dirt. Soil. <laughs> yeah, no one wants that, <laughs> that dirty dirt. The dirty dirt. Not that dusty dirt dirt, yeah. All right, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll get some improv. Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared, all of us had heard the dire warnings, and we all got scared. It's the story of a world pandemic, where we all were told to lock down You're on mute. Live comedy the second Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. And we're back. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Hello? Uh, hi. Um, the, the, I, I'm looking for a plumber. I, I'm sorry, this is quite embarrassing. Um, I bet you get that a lot. Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, what's going on? Well, here's the thing. It started in the toilet. Mom, Let me back up. It's making it's making those gurgling noises again. I think you have to feed it. It like um little shop of horrors. Just what haven't we given it yet? Okay, you shouldn't be feeding your toilet. I think I'm I'm getting a sense of uh there's there's bigger problems. So it started in the toilet. Yes, and um, it was gurgling the sound like "feed me," and um, so I I had already finished, you know, what I meant to do that morning. I'm gonna pause you. I'm gonna pause you. This is not a toilet problem. I think you have you have a plumber problem. I think most likely you got an errant contractor who was probably working on your toilet fell in there because he took too long. Oh. Well, this has been a re- recurring problem. We we had a, a plumber go missing just just a, about a month ago. Mom, the the toilet's asking for a turkey sandwich. <laughs> yep. Tell him we only have ham. We only have ham. It's now it's now it's it's chucking stuff up again. It's getting all over. So here's what you I need think to we know. We have a Jewish toilet. Yeah. <laughs> here's what you need to know about dealing with a plumber okay first off it uh, we don't obey you know the the time of science we don't obey the dates put down 
by anybody else. We come and go at our own time. And if you hired a plumber, maybe he just decided to camp out inside for a little while to truly get to know the problem from the inside. Now, he is going to wait around a long time. He's probably going to find more problems. He's going to make some more problems. Mom, it's okay. Caleb just took, just ate the dog. Oh no, that was our <laughs> honey. Go take the who rescued who sticker off the car, please. Okay. okay well, I, I'm I'm sort of concerned for this uh, plumber who's stuck inside our toilet. Is there a separate set of pipes that he uses? No, he's using the same pipes, but oh my, there's one easy, easy fix. You call in the plumber's council, okay? They're going to basically exercise your house. It's essentially an exorcism. Did uh, somebody call for the plumber's council? The plumber's council is here. Oh, uh, yes, I'm so you made it so quickly. Um, a strange disturbance in the force. Strange disturbance, strange disturbance. In omnitintum, in omnitintum, in omnitintum. There's something very dark inhabiting your plumbing. Please. Darkness. We're going to have to run the camera down. I I hope you, that you'll be able to find a a s scrappy. He he was disappeared in there last week. Please, here's the toilet. Feed me. Unfortunately, we can only perform these exorcisms on an installment. So we will begin with just ex excavating that uh, turkey sandwich you sent down earlier. Turkey sandwich as much as. Turkey is Sanders as much as Turkey is Sanders and much as We've got it. Are you hungry? It looks relatively unscathed. Oh, I'm on my carb free day, uh, but please uh, help yourself. Well, now that we've done that, I think the only clear thing to do is to uh, go down and investigate ourselves. Um, if you could get us maybe a case of Jack Daniels or Johnny Walker, uh, we'll be down there for maybe one to two weeks uh, performing a thorough excavation and exorcism of your... Oh, oh hey, Johnny. Nice to see you down there. Uh, does the alcohol, is that part of the down payment of the... It is. Installments? It's an, yes, yes. Where we will take installments of, of Jack Daniels for the next... No, 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 no. During okay, the exploratory well, We usually don't keep alcohol in the house. Um, you see, I, I've had a problem in the past. Well, then I consider this contract to be breached already. No, no, no. Um, okay. Well, you're not going to sue me, though, right? I mean... Oh, yes. I'm afraid the Plumber's Council has no choice. We've already partially performed. We got you that sandwich. Oh, my. Um, should I just move? Yes. <laughs> in moving in Maximist. In moving in Maximist. In moving Max. Tear down this edifice. Tearing down this edifice. Tearing down this. I, I can't. 
I feel like I'm being operated by a force beyond in me. But my in manimisk maximus plumbing gasoline all over the kitchen. Plunging maximus plunging maximus. Mom, I'm scared of the toilet. Grab your favorite toy and photos, and let's strike a match and get out of here. Bye, Sparky. And so the house burned down. And with it, it took the plumber's counsel, the plumbers and Sparky, none of them to ever be heard from again. But if we walk on down the street, we see, of course, their neighbors. But watch out as you walk. Because you'll notice the sidewalk ends a little prematurely. And here we have a sidewalk constructor who's been building one inch of sidewalk a year. Uh, <clears throat> here I am. I'm uh, just gathering some of my grade A premium quality dirt, uh, finest dirt uh, available, high value. Uh, I am putting in exactly one inch of dirt uh, here. Fred, it's taking you four years to build this sidewalk. How much longer is it going to take you? I am performing on the contract. Uh, and that's all that you need to know. That's all. I, it will take me whatever amount of time it takes me to inch by inch make my way. I was and expecting I, this sidewalk to be built at the end of 1963. Well, it's 1967 wishes, now. If wishes were fishes, you'd uh, be uh, drowning in the air right now. So there you go. I, that's like a riddle or something, right? Yeah, it didn't make a ton of sense. Contractors don't need to make sense. Well, I, you know, this nation is going through change. There's all kinds of beatniks and hippies running around the town, and I want this sidewalk done before the beatniks and hickey, hippies trying to move in on the dim dirt that's not filled in. I have some kind of music concert. I don't know what's going to happen. I just need my sidewalk done. I hope that you're not feeling in any way induced to perhaps cancel this contract, which would be a great shame. I mean, uh, if I'm honest, I'd say I'm tempted. Uh, hey, dude. Yo, my name is uh, Star Graham, and I'm your new neighbor. Make love, not war. Oh, no. Someone moved in in that burned out Hulk next door. I just love how the sidewalk ends right in front of my apartment. It's like that Shel Silverstein book. That book changed my life, man. It's how I started my anti-war gang. We'll have meetings every week. I hope you're okay with that, neighbor. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm honest, I don't think I, I don't think I'm too comfortable what's going on here is the, the you got the there are the hippies and the the star what is star warrior and people living in burnt out hulks of buildings and where the plumbers council you know used to be and my incomplete sidewalk is just this is a nightmare hey, catastrophe it makes me want to it's all right you just haven't drank the kool-aid yet but i just made a fresh batch dude well if I'm modest i am a little thirsty well, this is a our best flavor yet. Is it? As, sip it slow. It it kind of looks like a coolant. 
Is that like a lime flavor or something? Yeah. It's uh it, it might hit you like Vicks Vicks the vapor rub. Vicks vapor rub. You know, uh, I used to drink Vicks vapor. It reminds me of my grandmother actually. Do you think you could give some to my contractors to very slow? Uh and so, Your Honor, as you can see, I was in the uh, in the act of performing on the contract, not near, not quite as specified, but it was trying. When the uh, defendant uh, did put, choose to breach the contract by drinking said poison Kool Aid and nearly expiring, and uh, then I did not get paid for my services, and I uh, am therefore bringing suit. Yes. So you tried to exit the contract through death now i'm looking at this contract now it's it's very simple there's no there's no kool-aid clause there's no death clause none of the standard clauses that you would put into a contract now first off i want to tell you both for shame Sir, my I official judgment you. is oh, for okay. shame well i was using premium grade a dirt oh wait a minute can I can I see some of the dirt? Do you have some of the dirt with you? I do indeed. You in fact have some of the dirt uh, to show your. Uh, I was putting in this very dirt, this beautiful, silky, smooth, uh, coffee-colored, uh, uh, robust, uh, sort of fine shale uh, dirt uh, into the sidewalk. This. Yeah. This is like gold. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, the jury would like to uh, pass it around. Can we do that? Everybody get some dirt. Let's uh, uh, I would take like some, pass it down. Did you bring enough for everyone? I did. In fact, I have, if the jurors would look under their seats, they will notice that I have prepared <gasps> a gift bag of beautiful wow. uh, shale and other types of schist and dirt uh, for you to take home. For your Objection. Family. You can't. Uh, you're trying to buy off the jury by giving them this luxurious, luxurious dirt. You're giving them upwards of $12 worth of dirt each. You're basically bribing the entire court. Well, Your Honor, I would Jerry argue Dewey's that... He's just like Oprah. I, it's just like Oprah. And I would argue that actually that dirt that I have used to pay off the dirt, I mean, to show the jury what the dirt is like, should be recompensed to me by the, uh, the negligent contract breaker over there who... It may or may not be in a coma because of that Kool-Aid. Who knows? Uh... <laughs> That's bad faith. It's bad faith. Uh, uh, Sustained. Also point out, there's a sticker on the front of the newspaper uh, in today's edition for each of you to take home and put on your refrigerators if you'd like. Ooh, stickers! What? It appears that if the defendant is objecting. He's slowly lumbering towards towards me. Dirt, This. Object. This yeah. happens quite a lot with uh, recently deceased 
defendants. It appears based on the fact that he's crossed through the nether realm, he can only speak in fragments and occasional Latin. Um Resistors. Uh, I also took the liberty of buying everybody in the jury and also the judge a turkey sandwich. Ooh. Ooh. Me having some turkey. I will also give this, but I would like the court to uh, to reflect in the ultimate uh, disposition to me, the contractor, uh, the value of these turkey sandwiches. Of course. Mm-hmm. Well, the dirt is fantastic. I'm enjoying the dirt. This turkey, a little dry. Dry, not too bad. I'd uh, I'd like something maybe with a, a bit more zip. I am oh too dry for the defendant. Well, okay, so uh, <laughs> it's so dry. There's nothing to drink under here. Just the dirt is making it more dry. If only, if only there was a, a guild of, of plumbers around with many a handle of Jack Daniels, then everybody would be saved. No, but there is a council of sidewalk and si- the people who make sidewalk, sidewalk contractors. Sidewalk contractor guild present as summoned. <laughs> Sidewalk contractor. Did you require an expert witness from the Sidewalk Contractor Guild? Not my old nemesis, the Sidewalk Contractor Guild, no. I have been summoned from beyond to testify as to the length, width, and girth of said sidewalk. I hereby pronounce its complete the sidewalk and of coming to an end properly and fully and therefore Kool-Aid is full recompense to the dear departed homeowner who did contract for said sidewalk. You can say many things about the sidewalk guild, but one thing you can say is we're objective. (laughs) <laughs> I can't argue oh, with that Can't argue with that Well, uh, I'm glad we addressed that Because my next case on the docket Actually was about some uh, A libel suit against The Sidewalk Contractor Guild So, glad to know they've already Gotten ahead of that So it seems that I'm going to have to offer Full damages To the plaintiff Despite the fact that uh, the, uh, the defendant has uh, died, come back. Uh, it, it appears that this sidewalk, all four inches of it, that is a complete and full sidewalk. Did I lose? You may have lost on the sidewalk front, but you gained some new hippie friends. Vinny Vici. And that small ditch of empty sidewalk, which ran through a small town in New York, grew bigger and bigger until one year they decided, let's throw a music festival here in Woodstock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scene. (laughs) 
That's too good. All right, Curtis. Thanks for bringing us That's home from that so on that muddy. journey. I was like, I was like, I know Curtis is gonna. Know, oh my god! He's I gonna, feel like I dug us into some very deep holes. There. We were digging, so we were digging some deep holes in the. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But the only way, if you're di- oh if you're in a hole, just keep digging straight down. Help just me come keep... through the other side. That's how you it works. That's how it works. May turn that hole into a tunnel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the moral of any story. The moral of any story is if you find yourself in a deep hole, just keep digging until yep. you get to the other side of the earth. <laughs> Or pay a dedicated professional with a clearly uh, written out contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's our show yeah, this yeah. week. Uh, before we go, um, how about some shameless self-promotion? Uh, where can folks find you on the internet in socials? Lauren. Okay. You can find me on the Instagram at lorangemic. That's Mike short for Lauren J. Michaels. That's where I post uh, comedy shows coming up uh, along with the open mic that I host, the Ego Death Mic, which is also uh, on Instagram. Thanks. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, Curtis, where can people find you on the internet, social media, etc.? You can find me at Actually Curtis on most social networks, um, except for Quibi, which isn't a social network. Uh, so I don't know why I said it. And it's dead. <laughs> You can also find me at curtisrutherford.com, R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. And, or if you just uh, ask Google or Siri, Curtis Rutherford, question mark. There's not that many of us. You'll find it. How fantastic. Besides being in the dark, Kristen, where can people find you? Uh, Yeah, when not searching underneath the Congress Avenue Bridge, uh, Bat uh, Cave Colony area, I am typically most findable. uh, If you Google my name, you'll see a couple of really cool stories I have up uh, under Testify, which is a local storytelling event. And they're excellent, I think. Check them out. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. That's our show. Let's say goodbye. Goodbye.